Welcome to Karura's Weekly Podcast. Our hope is that your spiritual life will be fruitful as you listen in. We start in 3, 2, 1. Karibuni sana. You join me here. We'll do the reading together. <laughs> Church accountant, come with the checkbook. Uh, so as we, before we pray for them, I'd like us to, to read. It's a long reading, and you'll stand for long, but please be patient with us. Um, the whole of Genesis chapter 1. January will be an exciting month for Karura. We'll be going through the book of Genesis, and we'll learn a lot. Um, so let's read the whole of Genesis. Um, media team, if you could give me NIV version. Yeah. Let's go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening. And there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate the water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and he gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plant-bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times, and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters in the sea, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening. And there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, 
the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kind. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. According to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the all the creatures that move along the ground. Sorry. So God created mankind in his image, own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. To all, and to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground. Everything that has breath in, and of life in it, sorry, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw. Uh-huh. Very good. And there was evening. Amen. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please take your seats. As we pray for Kinoti, we are sending him as our ambassador to wherever he is going. Uh, we have Reverend Martin here who is going to lead us in praying for the Kinotis. When the Kinotis came here, uh, Reverend Martin and his wife Diana in the very vintage uh, uh, Reverend Martin style, he held um, Kinoti's hand, guided him through the process of which areas to serve. And Kinoti and his family have been excellent in providing leadership and serving and we are very grateful to God for that. But let me ask Akinoti uh, uh, to just tell us uh, where he's going so that uh, we have an idea. I know Reverend Pitson has mentioned something, but just tell these people where you're going. I know they love you because you're always here leading us very well. Please feel free to do so before Reverend Martin prays. Uh, praise the Lord, church. Good morning. Happy New Year to all of you. Yeah, it's such a privilege again to be back on stage. I think it's been a while. But we thank God to be back here. I am uh, relocating to South Africa. Uh, many of you probably don't know uh, what I do. Uh, maybe can I mention it? Yeah, please proceed. Yeah, because uh, a lot of people actually thought I work for Karura for, for the church. Uh, but I'm a lawyer. I'm also I'm a tax specialist. So I've been working for the Revenue Authority in the in the country. Um, but uh, I'm moving to provide technical support to African countries. Uh, in, an, in an organization called the African Tax Administration Forum. So that's where I will be uh, for the next couple of years. Uh, so thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you so much, Reverend Martin. Um, so uh, Kenoti and Patricia um, and your children, we are grateful for the service that you've continued to offer uh, God's people here in Karua Community Chapel. Um, I definitely miss you. Uh, he's, he's a personal friend and brother. Uh, so I'm not sure I'll be now coming home and leaving at 2 a.m., <laughs> right? But I want to pray for you and just release you with God's grace and love. Let's pray together. If touch, you're able to stretch your hands towards this family, even as Kinoti relocates. 
Heavenly Father, we are grateful for who you are. You are God who compares to none. And I want to thank you for your servant, uh, Lindstrom Kinoti, for the way you've walked in his life, the way you've walked with him, and the ministry that you've given him here at Kerala Community Chapel. But we are grateful because you have given him an assignment beyond the walls of this congregation. And you want to pray for him, Lord, as he sets forth and leaves this country for South Africa, the Lord, you will continue to use him as your instrument. I pray the Lord, you will fill him with your presence and with your spirit. I pray the Lord, you shall give him wisdom and courage to stand for you and for your name. I pray the Lord, he will be a light with the new community that he will find there. And he will form uh, partnerships that bring glory to your name. I pray the Lord, you will give him to excel in what he does. Thank you for what he's done uh, in this country uh, with KRA. And we want to thank you, Lord, as now as he has a, a bigger platform to serve you, I pray the Lord he will continue to stand as a man of integrity, as a man who fears you and honors you, a man who wants to do what is right before you. I want to pray the Lord he will be an instrument of influence towards doing the right thing and excelling to honor you in the work that he does every day. Just like, Lord, your word has told us that whatever our hands find to do, that we should do all for the glory of your name, like we are serving you. So I pray, as he interacts with the different countries, helping them on their tax issues, how I pray, the Lord, it will not be the tax that he will be focusing on, but how he can influence these for the kingdom of God. So go before him, protect him, give him a good community around him, give him a church in South Africa where he can plug in and serve and grow. And I pray for his family, pray for Patricia, the Lord as she remains behind for some time, as they figure out how uh, to, to keep moving forward. I pray the Lord you shall go before them and you shall give them wisdom on how to handle um, uh, this process. Bless Wema, uh, bless Enzi. And I pray the Lord, they will experience your love even from this young age. And they will grow uh, to always look up to their father. But always remember that you are our great father who is always closer than a brother. So we speak your blessing upon them. And we pray the Lord you cover them in the name of God the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I want to pray and finish the blessing, the blessing of God's word of Psalm 20, which says, may the Lord answer you when you're in distress. May the name of God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy over your victory. And lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the God, may the Lord grant all your requests. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So may you continue, and as you step forth, trust in the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Please greet the church there.
and we'll keep in touch. May God bless you. Amen. Happy New Year, church. As you can see up here, um, we have the Bible at the very center, and we want to uh, go through the Bible systematically. Of course, when we are doing a special um, programs like the Spiritual Emphasis Campaign, we'll still look at the Bible, but we will uh, focus on some topical issues. But basically, we want to go systematically uh, through uh, the Bible. And today, we're looking at Genesis chapter 1, and the topic is image bearers, image bearers, a journey through the Bible. We have a someone outline, and this someone outline, I would like to look a little bit at the, the, the search for beginnings. And then the biblical view of the beginning. And then the dignity of uh, the human being. And then seeking first the kingdom of God. So for those of you who write notes, that is how the someone uh, outline looks like. The search for beginnings. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we ask ourselves, what am I here for? What am I exactly am I doing? The past one week or so, I have had friends, family friends, about six family friends who have lost loved ones. And sometimes I've um, had the privilege to be just there with them and for them and reflecting on the lives of their loved ones. And you ask yourself, what should I be prioritizing? Am I significant? Am I important in this immense world? And what is life all about? Somebody has said that the question of self-worth or who you are and what you should be doing, the whole question of dignity is a question of origin. And our destiny is linked to our origin. In other words, what I am right now, what I'm feeling right now, has a bearing on where I come from or where I came from, and also has uh, a bearing on where I am going. That is why then on our identity cards or on our passports, they have where you are going. I mean, where you come from. I come from Kenya, I come from Uganda, and so on and so forth. Your origins, where you come from. And so it's important. I remember uh, in the late 70s, early, early 1980s, 1970s, uh, and early 1980s, uh, there was a book written by uh, an African-American, Alex Halley. It was called Roots. And in fact, there was a TV series based on that book. And in this book, there was, uh, Alex had, had this character called Kunta Kinte. And Kunta Kinte had been captured as a slave from West Africa in Gambia uh, as, a, as a young person and he had been taken to the Americas. And then, of course, through the process of, you know how slavery is very evil, and anyway, any form of abuse is really evil, and even colonization. What tends to happen is, with uh, slavery or colonization or any form of abuse, is they try to make you to hate yourself. Um, you feel you're useless, you can't do this, or you can't do that. And so there's a process of uh, uh, where they, 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 they even change your names, they try to change your culture and so on and so forth. And so when Kunta Kinte had now been freed, the slaves had been freed, he decides to kind of look for his roots to see exactly where he came from. And he ends up in West Africa. And he finds out that he belonged to the Kinte dynasty who were rulers in, uh, in, uh, in Gambia. And finding his roots... And he also realizes that he's actually a Mandinka warrior. He comes from the Mandinka warriors. And he goes back, looking forward, a very different man, knowing that even the name I had been given, Toby, was actually not my name. I am Kunta Kinte. And everything about him and his focus of where he's going changes completely. That is the power of origins. 
The only disappointment, of course, is he did not go far enough to find out where his ancestors, the ultimate origin of his ancestors. And that happens, of course. Uh, sometimes when we are searching for our genealogy to where we come, we, we reach a stage, we realize the history is not there. Or sometimes we even get disappointed. Unlike Kunta Kinte, we may find our, our ancestors were not dynasty and they were not um, heroes and so on and so forth. A good example, I realize there are quite a number of youth here. I can give you the example of the Rastafari movement. In 1935, there was a man, he was called Leonard uh, Howell. And he started... Uh, 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 he started this. Uh, he started what is called Rastafarianism. That particular time, Haile Selassie, who was an emperor in Ethiopia, had become a king or emperor th about five years before that particular time. And uh, and Ethiopia was the only country in Africa that had not been colonized. And so, what Leonard Howell decided, he decided that uh, Emperor Haile Selassie, he, you know, before before he was called Emperor Haile Selassie, his real name was Ras. Ras is basically prince, and then. Tafari. Tafari means the feared one or the respected one. So he was Rastafari. And so he decided that uh, uh, Emperor Lassalassi is actually, because the dynasty in Ethiopia, they believed, you remember when the Queen of Sheba went to, uh, to, to Judah and uh, there was King Solomon. So they believed that uh, this, this dynasty of uh, the Rastafari came from the Solomonic uh, line. And they believed, that is what at least uh, Alex believed, that uh, the, 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 the dynasty, the, the dynasty of, uh, um, of Emperor Selassie was actually the Messiah incarnate. So Haile uh, uh, Selassie was the Messiah incarnate. And he believed that the African was superior to the white. And the white person is inferior to the black person. And that Jamaica is hell and that Ethiopia is heaven. Of course, later on, uh, uh, Lana died, but the person who really popularized the Rastafari movement was Bob Malay with, through his uh, music and art. That shows you the power of music. And I know some of you still wear, uh, Rast what do you call it, Rasta, uh, no, dreadlocks, you know, because that was basically the, 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 the whole thing about it. The unfortunate thing, of course, was that Haile Selassie was overthrown in 1974, and then he was assassinated in 1975 at the age of 83. Of course, that was really disappointing for the Rastafari movement, because what they had believed in, in their divinity, their Messiah, there he was already dead. So various people believe various things, and I, I, I believe the Greeks had a form of disappointment in trying also to get their origin. And so their, their, their worldview of time was a circle. It was just uh, this, this cyclic uh, process where um, it was an endless, uh, uh, monotonous repetition of the same thing, repeating itself over and over again with no definite point of beginning and no ultimate point of destiny. They said, life, you, you're going really nowhere. You're born, you die, and everything just keeps going around and around, which is not very strange because the, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the teacher, King Solomon, he records, he was a very rich man, and he decided to be foolish for a while and do everything in the world that uh, needs that to, just to enjoy himself. And he says that without God, that is under the sun, then life is meaningless. Because you will go round in circles and come back. And I know some of you use these verses in your, in your functions, but sometimes, many of the times, you use them out of context. 
So you say there is a time to sow, there is a time to laugh, there is a time to mourn and all that. But what King Solomon was saying was that life under the sun without God, life is just one season or another, it's just cyclic, it's just monotonous, it's just a repetition of everything. It is not worth it, he said. And then he says, if, even if you work so hard on a project, maybe you, your pet project is making, making a lot of money or building or, or gardens, when you die, you don't know the people behind you, whether they'll have the same interests, whether they'll even guard what you have been doing. And he was saying it is all vanity. It is all meaningless. And I think this is where uh, Nietzsche, one of the philosophers, brought up the whole concept of nihilism, nothingness. He was saying, you know, there's no purpose in life. There is no meaning to human existence. It's just a cycle. And I know uh, many, uh, many Kenyans, I think, sometimes fall into this uh, trap because they may not say it. They may even say they are believers, but they are not. But one of the things about this trap, and Paul quotes it, he talks about the philosophers speaking to the Corinthians. He talks about some of their philosophers who say, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. A sense of help, a sense of nothingness. You're just going wrong. So let us do what we can now and, and just whether it's messing or not. And you see this, you know, this season, some people wait for Christmas, it comes, they drink themselves silly, they have no idea what the meaning is. The new year comes again, they just, it's just a whole process of just messing around in the name of celebrating. Young people say you only live once and just mess themselves because you're not going anywhere. It's a process of nothingness. And one of the ways that Kenyans live this out is through corruption. Because they have no hope for beyond themselves or anyone who will take care of themselves if they don't. So they end up with a lot of corruption. Pity here and there, just little corruption here and there all the time, trying to gain as much as you can because of the fear of you only living once. There are other people, of course, who are believed that, the, especially in the Asia, those who subscribe to Buddhism and Hinduism, they believe those are, those are creator. And this creator started off the creation and then he went away. But he left everything to run automatically. So we have karma. So what you do, what you do to other people comes back to you. If you do very well and you live in this world, what happens is when you die, you will come back either in a better caste system, a superior human being, or if you do bad, you will either come back as a lesser human being or even as an animal or as an object, you know. But that is the process that then is just, it's just running by itself. And then there are others who believe in evolution. Those ones say, ah, maybe we, we are just some outgrown germs or something like that. We just, we are an accident and we are here and we are going to become better. Somehow things are going to become better. But most of the time these are people who feel they are self-made. They, many of them are you find a lot of them in very developed countries where they say, ah, technology will take care of everything. Every, I mean, we can do it ourselves. They are, they are self-made. And sometimes even as we can actually find ourselves in this situation, and God warns the Israelites. He tells them that when you get to the promised land, don't say, we did this in our own strength. He says, remember, it is God who gives you the strength to get the house you have. It is God who gives you the strength to get the bicycle you have. It is God who allows you and enables you to even be in the school that you are in. People like King Nebuchadnezzar, they took this attitude. After he had put up the city of Babylon, he started saying, look, I've put up this. Look, I've built all this. And God took him through a process, seven years being in the wilderness 
for him to realize that whatever he has is from God. And when he submitted to God, it was after going through so much. And you and I really, we don't need to waste so many years going through a process like that in the name of being in charge. And so what is the biblical view of the beginning? Allow me to read a quote from R.C. Sproul. He says, unlike the cyclic Greek worldview of time, he says the Hebrew understanding of time is linear, in a sense, a line. There is a point of beginning and that the movement of history is moving in extra, <laughs> yes, towards a determined goal, towards the consumer. I think I need to drink some water. <laughs> towards the consummation of the kingdom of God, of God, towards a destiny that our creator has established from the foundation of the world, and that along this line of history, the, mo the moments are meaningful as redemption is unfolding and taking place. What he's saying is, there is a beginning, and there is a very clear end. But in the now, it is meaningful. You see, there are some people, they even call themselves Christians. And they will say there is a beginning and there is an end. But right now, there is no meaning. And that is not the Hebrew view or the Bible view. And I know uh, there, are some, there are some songs that I, I, used to hear, I used to hear even before I became a believer. Some people would sing, uh, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. In other words, the, what is important is the beginning and that is how you get shakahola. Because it is the end. Now, that is not biblical. And that is what Shral is saying. He's saying in between it's very meaningful, it's purposeful. And so he tells us this. This is what now the Hebrew and the, the Bible view it says in, in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You're not an outgrown jump. God created the heavens. The writer to Genesis takes us at the, to the very beginning and takes us to this creation workshop. And, and the first stage of this creation is this raw material that is yet to be formed or shaped in the creative plan of the divine architect in verse 2. He says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It, when he says the spirit of the Lord was offering over the waters, and I know I've said this and I'll repeat it, it's not the same way you go to the uplands there in the morning and you find mist hung, of, hanging over land. No. It is, the, the other time this word is used in the prophets, it is, the, 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 it is the, to describe the mother eagle or the mother dove hovering over her, either her, her eggs to, to warm them and, 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 and hatch them or to protect, to feed and to nurture and nourish the young ones or as a hen broods over the chicks. The idea here is that as God the Father shapes and calls into existence the substance of the universe, God the Spirit forms the formless and banishes the darkness. And that is why the creation is a whole process of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit engaged in creation. And verse 3 says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. What we call divine fiat or divine imperative or divine, divine command. Because the word of the Lord is the agent that brings something out of nothing and brings life out of what was not there in terms of life. Because he himself, God, is life, he's self-existent, he's self-sufficient. 
He did not use any pre-existing matter or substance out of which to bring about creation. What is this word? What is this agent? The next time we hear this in the beginning, apart from Genesis chapter 1, is in John chapter 1 from verse 1 all the way uh, forward. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. Talking about Jesus Christ. And so you see God the Father, you see God the Holy Spirit, you see God the Son all engaged in this process. And as God speaks, it comes to be. And you may remember when Jesus uh, was here on this earth in person, when Lazarus had, had died, what, he had been in the tomb several days, and what Jesus did is he commanded, he said, Lazarus, come out. And out of the dead, he commanded and there was life. Because he's the author. And the word authority comes from the word author. He created, he knows, he gives life where there is no life. And that is why he's able to do. You remember even the storms, he commanded them and, 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 and they, they, he said, uh, he, he commanded those waves and said, peace be still. And the disciples were surprised. And the sea obeyed him because he is the creator of all of them. And to this day, our Jesus is still in charge and he's able to command things in 2024 for you and for me and talk to us and talk to creation and bring things that were not to be because he's still God. And so when he tells us to do certain things, we should not be afraid because it is by the power of his command that things come to be. And so where do I get my dignity? The dignity of human beings. What am I doing here right now? Yes, there is a beginning. But what am I doing here right now? Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 tells us. It says, Then the Lord said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. You see, this is the basis of our self-worth. This is the basis of our dignity. God imprints the divine image on the human creature so that we have the capacity and the responsibility to live in such a way that our lives mirror, they reflect and resemble the character and the person of God. Not only to ourselves, but to all the creatures so that when all the creatures see us, they see the image of God. Man's dignity is extrinsic. That means it is derived. It is assigned to him by God. And it's not intrinsic. Intrinsic means it's inbuilt. It's the same way that you cannot say you have life that is within yourself the way God is self-existent. Your life has been given to you by God. It is derived. The same way self-worth is, it is derived. You may recall the farmer that Jesus talked about in the New Testament. This farmer had harvested much and he said, I will expand my stores. I will do this and I'll go to this place and I'll do this. And then that night it was told to him, your life is demanded of you. And all that he had built, he realized, was not from him. It had been derived. It is the same thing with our self-worth. I've been made by God. That means I am somebody my roots go back all the way to Eden and not to Gambia, not to the Kunta Kinte dynasty. The moment 
when God scooped up that dust and he condensed and leaned over it and breathed into that dust and breathed life so that man became a living soul. The inanimate earth was animated. I am alive because of the breath of God. The very principle of our being comes from the being of God. And that is why John in chapter 1 verse 4 says, In him, Jesus Christ, was life. And that life was the light of mankind. In Acts chapter 17, Paul speaking to the people in Corinth. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being. Just the fact that you could come to this place, even we will be living afterwards, and tomorrow hopefully you'll be moving to college, to school, wherever it is to work. It is because of him that we live and move. We are totally dependent on him. And Romans chapter 11 verse 36, Paul writing to the Romans says this about him. He says, for from him and through him and for him are all things. A very all-inclusive statement. That is that all is from him. When he says from him, he's saying that he is the source. From his sovereign will, everything flows. Myself and everybody around here, we come from him. And when he says through him, it means he's the means. Through the sovereign activity of God, everything functions. And when it says, and for him are all things, it means he's the end goal of everything. To his sovereign glory, everything exists. And so the most mo meaningful moments of our lives are when we contemplate and seek God. When our, because our hearts were made for him. Because we are made in his image. We are his bearers of his image. And we are restless until we find God. Because that is why he created us. That we may bear his image. That we may know him. That we may love him. And in knowing him we may reflect and mirror his image. Not only to ourselves but to others. And that is why life is seen as to be so precious. And that's why the human being has dignity. And that even when the power of sin, which corrupts and defaces, when the human, the human being, the mirror is cracked, but we are still a mirror. Yes, debased, but not erased. It's a little like getting a note, a, 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 a hundred shillings note, folding it and even it becomes dirty. But it still has value, it still has worth. Because there's a law that backs that note in whatever state it is. You and I have the imprint of the divine on us. And that is why we can stand. How much worth are you and how much worth am I really? Your worth depends on how much, the worth of anything actually, depends on how much anyone is willing to pay for it. So you may think maybe your, your bicycle is 100 million, but then everybody offers you five shillings, then your bicycle is worth five shillings. So how much is your worth? Your worth is that Jesus Christ, God himself, is willing to give his life for you and I. That's how much worth you and I are. And so the Bible then calls us to seek first the kingdom of God. Why? Because God alone has life in himself and we are entirely dependent on him. The life that we have both physical and spiritually is derived from him. And that is why A.W. Tozer says this. What comes into our minds when we think of God is the most important thing about us. 
Biblically based high views of God leads to high and holy living. But low views of God leads to low and base living. What is your view of God? Because that is the one who created us to reflect, to mirror him. Steve Lawson says this. Our entire worldview is governed by how we understand who God is. It affects how we conduct ourselves in the marketplace. How we understand recreation and everything else. So that everything you'll do in 2024 reflects on, your, reflects on how you understand who God is. There was a prophet who God called. This is Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4 to 8. This is Jeremiah. It says this. The word of the Lord came to me, say, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet in the nations. Then Jeremiah replies, Allah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do, not, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and to say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and I'll rescue you, declares the Lord. He who began this world and this world is leading to the consummation of the kingdom has a clear purpose for you and I today. Jeremiah, God tells him, you were planned. You were not an accident. And you and I here in 2024 January, none of us here is an accident. There has never been any other like you before. And there will never be. And there will never be even after. Your thumbprint is unique. And you're unique. And that's why the Bible says you have been fearfully and wonderfully made. And so Jeremiah is told, no, you, you didn't just happen. I know this is important because some of you, when you were born, your parents forsook you. Either one parent or both. Or you were born out of wedlock. And you begin to wonder, wasn't that just an accident of some young people doing their own thing and then I came about? And you begin to feel like you are an accident. Or your parents rejected you. Or where you work, people abuse you and they reject you. And what, when you've done the best that you need to do, they still feel that's not good enough. And you begin to wonder, am I an accident? But God knew you before you were formed. He knows me before I was formed. Second thing that God tells Jeremiah is, it was God himself who formed him in his mother's womb. It is not just something that happens. He knit him. And God knit you and knit me. And I know some of you usually feel like, what? How, how could I have been born so ugly? Maybe God just had a little material left and he said, let's make this one. No. You've been well thought through. Well planned. But that's not all. God has an assignment for you here on earth. The Bible says, even the good deeds before you were born, he had already put them in advance. Whatever place he has put you and is going to put you in is not an accident. At the right moment, God called Jeremiah and I gave him that particular assignment. Jeremiah immediately felt incompetent 
He felt incompetent on many fronts. He said first on age. He said, I am young. In other words, I'm not experienced. You're telling me to go to the nations and to reflect you and to mirror you and to be an image. I'm not experienced. I'm too young. And I can see a lot of young people here. Secondly, he said, I don't know how to speak. Very same story that Moses gave to God. But God had already prepared Aaron and Aaron was already on the way. When God calls you for an assignment, it doesn't mean that you're the one who will do everything. He has prepared the right people for you and around you. And you and I should be able to understand the communal call of God of the church, that we work together to fulfill God's plan. And God has the right people for you and I. And I don't know what God is calling you this, this year, but Trevor Martin will again be coming up in a short while. And, and I'll be asking those of you who are believers, who are image bearers, and you know that God is giving you an assignment this year, or you're not even clear, you're sure, probably even like Jeremiah before he knew. But you're trusting God for that assignment to come clear, and Reverend Martin will be praying for you. And I'll be asking those of you who are believers, and you just want to stand and be prayed for, that the Lord will minister to you. And you may be here, and you're feeling incompetent. God is giving you some assignments, or he's calling you to something, and you're like, God, I can't do that. God hardly gives us things we can do just in our, by our own strength. Because he backs us and he watches over us and he walks with us. And that is why we are able to do the impossible. God is in charge. And you and I will have no excuse when we are trusting the Lord. And so as Reverend Martin comes up and the worship team will be coming up later on, some of you may be having deep concerns about the economy, about your jobs, about your businesses. But my brothers and sisters, if God is calling you to that, you need not worry. You don't need to feel sorry for yourself or for your close friend or for your families because there's one who is in charge, one who began and has a plan and right now he's working out his purposes. God created us and chose us to live in this exact moment of time. You may be saying the time is not right, things are difficult. God knows why he put Jeremiah at that particular time. God knows why he's put you and I in January 2024, even this very moment. Our life is not a coincidence or an accident. Our God did not create us and go away and leave everything in automatic. He's walking with us just the same way that he walked with Jeremiah. We should not be fearful or disheartened. God is in control. He has placed us where he has placed us in this season by his sovereign plan. He knows that with him we can handle any challenge precisely because he created us specifically for a time like this and for the challenges that are going to come our way. So let us not be afraid as we get into the year 2024, but rather let us consider how it can honor and how we can honor God who has chosen us. Some of you are parents and you're wondering, the school system is getting, our children are exposed to all sorts of things. Are we going to survive as parents? It is a time like this that God has chosen you and I to be parents. You have a spouse and you're wondering, what am I going to do with this one? It is for a time like this that God has chosen you to be there. You have a parent who is not well, who is sick or who needs help and you don't have finances and you're wondering, what is all this about? It's not an accident. God is not in heaven biting his fingers and wondering about this situation that you may be facing. He knew from the foundation of the earth what season and you are, and I will be living in like. 
and he chose that we be here. He told, Ruth was told, for such a time as this, you are born. God is with us. God is in full control. You're a believer and you're telling God, man, I just want to stand up before you today as I'm prayed for by Reverend Martin. Just take a step of faith and stand up as he prays, if that's you. I am standing myself. I want to be an image bearer that I may be the complete person that God had for me. Feel free and just stand up at this stage as Reverend Martin comes. Not, not necessarily all of you, just those who want to be prayed for, please. If this is what you're telling God, this is it. God, I'm trusting you like Jeremiah. Just stand up. And you, God, are our Father, our Creator. You're a God who compares to none. You, you, you're just a God who, who is so relatable. And Lord, thank you for your word this afternoon. You're speaking to us, Lord. You are from the beginning. And by the power of your word, you created everything. But Lord, you, you did not create us by a word. But you created us in a very special way. You molded us. You ported us. You have exclusively engineered each one of us. We are your workmanship. We are your craft. We reflect who you are. I just we are your design. We we are you. And we are thankful that Lord, we are people who did not deserve that. You have given that to us. We are yours. You've chosen us. Lord, this morning we stand, this afternoon we stand as a community of believers, as a people called by your name, people who trust and believe in you. And we want to say that, Lord, we want to embrace the assignment that you have for us. Because like you told Jeremiah before he was formed, in the mother's womb, you knew him and you called him to be a prophet. Before we were formed, each of us, before we were formed in our mother's womb, Lord, you knew us and you had an assignment for us. You created us with a mission and for a mission. You created us for a purpose. Many times in this world, Lord, we wonder we wonder, we try different things. And maybe the reason we wonder is because we're not walking with you. We're not listening to you. It's because we do not want to obey you. But I pray for myself and for my brothers and my sisters as they stand this afternoon. 
Lord, this will be a different year for all of us. It will be a year where we submit to your authority because you are our author, you are our creator. And Lord, you've crafted and designed our path and our way. You've crafted our story. And Lord, you've even put desires, you've put passions, you've given us giftings, talents to be able to respond to the purposes that you've created us for. Lord, I pray now if any of us that are standing have struggled to understand and know their purpose in life, that this year, Lord, from your word, they will see it and they will understand it. Lord, you have created us for your pleasure and you call us to be with you all the time. And even like David prayed, I pray the Lord this year we will thirst for you. As a deer panteth for the waters, the Lord we will thirst for you and we will want to walk with you every day. The Lord you will fill our minds that the things that we are thinking all the time are things that bring glory and honor to your name. And they are things that please you. They are things that you're calling us into and you want us to respond to. Father, I pray that you will open our minds and light up our minds. That the ideas, the thoughts come to us will be what brings you all the glory. Father, I pray that you will open our eyes. That the things that we see are the things that will illuminate for us to see. And we will follow that as a light where you want us to go. I pray because, Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet. We will be able to see what you're telling us every day. And, Lord, we will obey and follow you. Father, I pray that you will open our ears. The Lord, even in the confusion of the world, in the busyness of the world, and the noises of the world, like you said, sheep know your voice and Lord we will hear your voice and we will obey your voice Lord I pray because you are the one who gives strength as we lift our hands and stretch our heads the Lord we will be stretching our hands out to you with an understanding, the Lord, we cannot do anything out of ourselves. We are nothing without you. We are because you are. We are because you created us. So as we stretch out our hands, Lord, to be a sign of our surrender to you. It's you who gives us strength. It's you who holds our hands. Lord, I pray as we take steps with our feet that we will recognize, Lord, it's not what we eat. It's not 
things we give to our bodies, but it is you. But I pray the Lord you will lead our feet. And our feet will be a blessing wherever we walk. And will be a blessing to the people that are following us behind. And Lord, I pray that we will enjoy the joy of our salvation. The joy of knowing that we have been saved and redeemed and a great price was paid for us to know you and to live for you and with you. And as we live here, the Lord, we shall live recognizing that we are here just for a moment, but we have an assignment to do. And we will do it wholeheartedly, cheerfully and joyfully. And the Lord, we will be ready for your second coming because your word is sure and tells us that you will come like a thief in the night. We don't know when you will come. So I pray that we shall be found faithful, faithful having done the assignment that you gave us. found in obedience of your word. Thank you that we can gather as a community of believers. Thank you that we can support one another and be there for one another. Thank you because this year, Lord, you're going to use each one of us. But Lord, you only use us when we respond to your grace. I pray spirit will move us to respond. Lord, we know within this community, we have people who haven't responded to that grace. Grace of knowing that you send your only son to come to die for our sin, that we may be redeemed eternally. And Lord, your grace is chasing after them. So I pray for them our brothers and sisters who may be in this congregation, our brothers and sisters who are in our homes, brothers and sisters that we work with, the Lord, they will respond to that grace that you're drawing them to yourself. They will know you and they will live for you. And Lord, your people are trusting you for different things people here have different desires. And Lord, we know and your word tells us that when we raise a cry to you, you hear us and you answer us. I pray that you will answer all of us, Lord. You will hear the desires, you will hear the cries in our hearts and in our minds and you will answer us as our Father. And even as a church, Lord, I pray within this community, Lord, you will give us to be the light. And as people come in to this church, they will find you and they will see you. I pray the Lord, people as they pass by along the roads that surround us, people that live around us in Dwarka, 
in Gigirin, Roslyn, Runda, Banana, Mushada, Kashir, Dendero, Limuru, Red Hill, Tigoni, Kiamba, Kiamburut, Kedokoro, Uruma, Parklands, Westlands, Kitisuru, Gashie, Wangige. And Lord, all these areas that you've given us to live, to step, to walk, you use us. Use us, Lord, for your glory. We submit to your power. We submit to your grace. like to give your life to Christ or talk to or pray with someone, kindly reach us on WhatsApp 0721-990-880. God bless you.